Welcome to Notes on Vulnerability, a podcast designed to put stories of resilience, courage and being human at the heart of the conversation. In each episode of this podcast, I'm speaking to regular people about their experiences with vulnerability. Everyone who's brave enough to come on this podcast is being open about vulnerability and how it's had an impact on their lives. Making yourself vulnerable is one of those things that can feel a bit like madness, especially if you're not used to it, and especially if you're more inclined to think of vulnerability as a weakness or being exposed. But vulnerability also has this magic flip side. If you're willing to go there, physically or emotionally, to feel that exposure, to tackle that risk, it can create some incredible opportunities and connections, not just with other people, but also with yourself. Before we start this episode, I'm just going to recap on the definition of vulnerability that this podcast is built around. And that is letting yourself be seen, stepping outside your comfort zone and into the unknown when you can't control what's going to happen next. In this episode, I'm talking to Sally Poinsett-Nash. With a background in executive management, brand development and consultancy, Sally might be the last person you'd expect to find on a podcast about vulnerability. However, the tagline of her business, Brandable & Co, an award-winning strategy agency, is on a mission to make business more human. Humanness is something that Sally defines as showing up exactly as you are, regardless of what showing up looks like for you or what anyone else thinks about it, with confidence and without compromise. If that's not a motivation that encompasses vulnerability, I don't know what is. Sally describes herself as managing director and human brand builder. As well as multiple business awards demonstrating the success of her unique approach, there's also the feedback from the people she's worked with. One client said, Sally's genius is unlocking the potential in the brand and showcasing the humans behind it. Sally has become a vocal pioneer of the importance of being human in corporate settings, rebranding what used to be viewed as a weakness into a considerable strength. She's also overcome plenty of her own human moments, from reading poetry on stage in front of hundreds of people to being a certified tall person. Being human in a business world that doesn't exactly encourage it takes resilience, strength, and of course, vulnerability. And that's what we're here to discuss. So Sally, welcome. Thank you. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Excited to be here. As you know, my background well over a decade ago was in banking finance law. So I kind of find the concept of being human in business both frighteningly vulnerable and hard to imagine. But you're really winning at it, both for yourself and your clients. So how do you make it work? I think making it work is, you know, it's a long burn. And it's something that I myself and other people have to take at their own pace. It's more a case of, you know, trying something, seeing that nothing terrible happens. Within an environment, especially in the big corporates, You have so many people who are choosing to be professional over being themselves. And when you are able to embrace that human side and bring a bit more of you to the table week after week, month after month, eventually you end up with a very human brand within that organization. And it makes it even easier for you to stand out because so many aren't doing it. Um, Personally, I've experienced the vulnerability because I have to walk my talk and it's something I'm passionate about it's probably driven quite a lot of my growth actually but I would never have done it had I not had to back up what I go out there and and preach (laughs) so you kind of mentioned there this idea of being professional rather than being yourself Um, and where is the conflict between business and being human is it purely around that idea or does it go further 
I don't know where we've picked up this idea of, you know, maybe it was in the 90s with the oversized suits, I'm not entirely sure, but where we've picked up this idea of what being professional is and having to split yourself into work persona, outside of work persona. Like, I have no idea when it arose or if it's been there from the start, but being professional does not mean that you cannot be yourself. Nobody has ever said that that's what it means. So being able to balance a professional approach with bringing your whole self to work, a lot of the conflict, you know, sometimes you're not going to enjoy certain roles, you're not going to enjoy working with certain companies and clients. And some of that can come from, you know, you're having to suppress who you are in order to do the job at hand. By turning up fully, your confidence goes up, your enjoyment factor goes up because it's you, the, the human being, not the work version of who you are. So yeah, I think it has to be a bit of a balance between the two. It is still a work environment, it is still a business environment. And it's not bringing, you know, the Friday night version to the office on a Monday morning. But when you are able to share things that are important to you that are going on in your life, you're able to build rapport with people so much easily, more easily. And, you know, people will either like you or not like you, whether you're being professional or not professional. It's not about making everyone like you. It's about fostering deeper connections and having a more well-rounded work experience for you and for the organisation. I mean, the benefits are on both sides. Where do you think people feel the most vulnerable being themselves or when? I don't even know that it is the being themselves part. I think it's the thought of it. You know, it's the emotional attachment to what that means. And it's how somebody's defined it. There are examples where women won't mention that they're mothers because it can be seen as a weakness. And maybe that is the case with the company culture. Maybe it hasn't evolved and that's still something that they have to deal with. Just because that's the company culture doesn't mean it can be shut down for somebody. And when you share that you are a parent or a mother in a situation where it's appropriate, it can actually really strengthen the connection because anyone else who's a parent or a mother or a father, they're, they're able to relate to you much more easily than they were the faceless professional, you know, delivering a great presentation human being. I'm not sure it's actually being human. I mean, we're human all of the time. We do the things that are not business related and we talk about things that are not business related in these environments. It's the concept, you know, and, and the lens in which I view it is through brand building and building these human brands, not as mouthpieces of the company, but as people who go out there and they share things that they're doing in their lives, which can diversify a marketing strategy. It can open up new markets. Places where this faceless, professional human, you know, company messaging can't reach. The human beings can connect with so many different people, build the relationships, and ultimately, all relationships are human to human. The company's not doing business with anybody. Um, it's the people within that company. So I think it's more the idea that people have surrounded, you know, this, talk about it in the sense of not, underselling yourself and when I talk to people about having to sell yourself having to promote yourself it's the emotion that they attach to the concept of self-promotion of selling rather than the actual returns that seems to be where the block is coming from what is the emotion 
I mean, there are many. Um, I've been conducting a research piece for about 18 months now, um, mostly with women uh, looking at how people feel at the concept of having to sell themselves. You know, how does it make people feel? And the sort of stuff that's coming up there, 78% of responses that I've had from the, the workshops and events that I've delivered so far were negative. People were responding negatively, um, you know, all the same kind of words. So anxious and arrogant and intimidated, embarrassed, cringe comes up a lot. Um, so it's more this emotional response to it that's holding people back. And if you're able to get out of your own way and see that there are actual measurable benefits that can come from it, including being promoted, getting different roles and opportunities, the things that it presents on the positive side are endless. But because you feel some kind of way about the concept of it, you're not going to do it. Why do you think we've tried to exclude this from our approach to business in the past? Why haven't we seen these benefits? I think what worked, you know, the, the internet probably has made a huge difference to this. And, you know, what worked in traditional business and the days of going to the expos and having the stand for the business, it was all about promoting the business. But like everything, you know, business has evolved, technology's evolved. The way that human beings connect with each other has evolved. Um, the thinking around being human versus being professional, you know, that also needs to evolve. What led you to embracing the idea that vulnerability in business is a good idea? I think it has probably come from the fact that I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't put on this, I couldn't put on the persona anymore. It was exhausting. And, you know, over the course of my life, it would, you know, it hasn't been an easy one, like many people lives and it's it's that stuff that shapes us it's that stuff that causes us to evolve in the ways that we do and you know I've had struggles with mental health and depression from a ridiculously young age really considering I'm in my 40s now and I look back and I think well how did a how did a seven-year-old or a ten-year-old version of myself have depression I mean that's pretty sad and looking at it in a work capacity it was contributing to not having a great mental health. Um, I think, you know, Jim Carrey, I think it was Jim Carrey, you probably know better than I do, but the way he talks about mental health was that it was, I don't know the quote, I think we may have to look this up, um, but it's more about pretending to be, you're just tired of pretending to be someone you're not, something along those lines. And I felt the same with work. It's like, it's exhausting. Having to compromise my integrity was a big thing for me. You know, integrity is not there to be compromised. It's probably one of the non-negotiable things. <laughs> and I kept being told over and over again that my integrity was a problem. I was never going to be hugely successful in business if I didn't drop the integrity. And it's almost like a defiance of, well, actually, I'd rather do something different. Um, I'd rather keep the integrity and see if I can prove you wrong. So these scenarios, I mean, I could name probably a hundred of them where it's just, I cannot fit into my work persona anymore. I can't be part of a problem instead of being part of a solution. And it was, it was nerve wracking. I mean, I'm a staunch introvert and 
putting myself out there is the last thing I want to do with my life. But when I put out my first tweet, which seems ridiculous, um, given the scale of the following I have today, I hit the send button, slammed the laptop shut, and had three friends over to support me because I put my first tweet out into the world. And the funniest part is it's an anonymous account, or it was an anonymous account, with an anonymous quote. (laughs) But it about sent me over the edge because I'd never done anything publicly. And that was six years ago. So where I am today, I, I just couldn't have got here had I not said, you know what, enough is enough. I can't be this person anymore. I didn't, from day one, go, yeah, this is what I want to go and do. It's it's a slow evolution towards what I do today. Um, I feel, I think a lot of people must must resonate with that. I know that I definitely felt like I was hiding who I really was when I was a lawyer. Um, but I'm not sure that a lot of people, or it's quite hard to get to the conclusion that there is another way. Were there any triggers other than the sort of feeling that you just had enough? No, I think, that, you know, from having had a really challenging upbringing one of the things or two of the things that have come out of that for me are endurance which is not necessarily a good thing and defiance which also is not necessarily a good thing however I can endure like no other I mean I can endure and endure and endure but when I get to the point where I'm done that there is no turning back and I'd reached that point which is kind of terrifying because I hadn't made a plan for what happened next And the defiance was channeled in the realms of, if you don't think I can be successful and have my own business and keep my integrity, I'd really love to prove you wrong. I'm not doing it to prove you wrong, but I'd love it to be a side effect of what I'm doing. So for me, it was a case of just, it's snapped, it's broken, a bit like the elastic band, it just won't go back. Um, It's lost its stretch. And... The work I do today, it's, I would rather prevent people from getting to that point, um, give them ways in which they can start to incorporate it into, you know, their, their careers, their career strategies, their business strategies, um, weaving in who you are, showing up as who you are. It doesn't need to be the majority, but it does need to happen. You know, we need to, we need to see the faces behind the organisations and the businesses and the products and the brands and everything else we engage with in life. You know, there's people behind everything. And they're often far more interesting than the products they're selling. (laughs) (laughs) So this is kind of using humanness or vulnerability to your advantage. Um, I know that you've kind of said that you see self-awareness and vulnerability as a business asset, which is kind of what you talked about there. So how can people get started using that if they don't have access to professional support? Um, I think one of the things that really stumped me, I I couldn't quite believe it was the thing I was struggling with at the beginning, was I I could not describe who I... Take away the the job title and you take away the work and, and the expertise. I could not describe in more than a sentence who I was or what I was about. I mean, it just blew my mind. What I could do for others, it, it, it was impossible. I mean, I felt like everything was in Japanese and I don't speak a word of Japanese. So I set about asking people around me to describe me, much to the irritation of people, I was texting people, um, and could you answer these questions? 
I did a couple of online sort of profiling tests, a bit like Myers-Briggs, for example, and hit the results with a highlighter pen and highlighted everything which I felt was like, oh, that, that's kind of what I'm about. I even did an online um, horoscope, which gave me like my birth horoscope or something, hit that with a highlighter pen and managed to piece together all these bits that, that resonated with me into, oh, okay, this is kind of what I'm about. But it really threw me that I was unable to describe who I was. And I've been myself for a lot longer than I've been any of my job titles or all of my job titles put together. So one of the things I do with clients um, in workshops is encourage people to ask the others. Um, there is a bunch of free guides on the Brandable and Co website. One of them on there kind of talks you through the sorts of questions you could ask in a survey. But getting people to describe you not only helps you describe yourself, even if it's a case of, well, that's not right. It gives you clarity of thought around, well, what may fit better? Um, but it will give you a gauge on how your personal career, leadership, brand, whatever label you want to put on it, your human brand, it will give you a gauge on where that's positioned today. Because essentially your brand is what people are saying about you. So if this is what they're saying about you, it's a good reflection. And it's something we can't get to in workshops, in events. Um, you have to ask other people. So seeing how others describe you, asking for recommendations on LinkedIn, for example, seeing what people are saying about you, it's a really good place to start from because what you think people will say is probably not the case. A lot of people are terrified at the thought of asking for feedback. I'm of the thinking that all feedback is good feedback and you're not going to get bad feedback unless you are, you know, pretty bad human being. Um, people are, you know, they're not going to write, they're not going to write awful things about you unless you're kind of going around behaving in an awful way. At which, and if that is how you're wired, you probably don't care about sending out a feedback. Thing. Um, but yeah, it's a great place to start, especially if you are looking to take your career somewhere or you're looking to get to your next goal. You've got to know where you're starting from in order to bridge the gap. So is this, this is basically the idea of like a personal brand? Yeah, it would be. Your personal brand is nothing more than how you're showing up for other people. Mm. In, you know, in 2020, 2021, you know, it's very much online and if you're not showing up online and most of your, your engagement with other people professionally has been face to face, you know, not showing up online isn't a great thing either. Whether people are going for jobs, whether they're doing business with others, you know, you're going to get a Google search on your name and having a quick look to see what is currently showing up when people search for you. That's not a bad thing either. It's again, giving you this picture of, who you are. So <clears throat> your brand is just how you're engaging and interacting with and showing up for other people and also giving people a place to connect with you. If you're not online at all, pretty much don't exist on the digital you know, high street. Um, I always talk about it in the sense of a shop because a brand is really quite hard to wrap your head around the brand. Mm. If you don't, you know, brand isn't part of your, your thinking. Um, so I would describe it as a shop on a high street or 
in a shopping center or a mall or a mall if you're in America. <laughs> and um, everyone knows a shop. They know it has a window. They know what you look in the window, you see what people are selling. It's the same for a, for a brand, really. You know, your digital shop window is your website, your social media profiles, your LinkedIn. And if the stuff that's in the window doesn't reflect who you are today, even if there's just a signpost saying, well, we've moved, <laughs> you know that the shop's gone somewhere else and that it, it hasn't closed its doors and it's stopped doing business. Mm. So thinking about yourself in that, in that context of being a shop and you're a shopkeeper and creating those first impressions with people is key to starting new relationships, forming deeper connections. It can be as small or as, or as big as the person wants it to be. There's no one size fits all with this stuff. And if you're very conscious that you are trying to sort of create a personal brand, how do you stop it becoming inauthentic? It's a, it's a blend, really. If you focus on the thing that matters to you, and that's what you're known for, you, have, you know, think about what you want to be known for. It probably isn't the current job title. It's probably not something obvious. It's the thing that makes you come alive, that makes you feel energised. There is something within every job, even if it's just the interaction with the other people in your team, there is something that matters to you about the work that you do. And just being known for that one thing is key to making it feel authentic. It doesn't need to be one thing because there's lots of different aspects to, to who we are as people. And there's lots of different audiences out there for each aspect of who we are. You know, work-wise, I talk about not underselling yourself. Why does that matter to me? Because I've undersold myself for so many years in so many different ways. And I'm over it. <laughs> because I'm over it, I'm going to encourage other people to get over it as well. Um, from a, a work capacity, you know, talking about being human in a professional setting, it matters to me because I've spent so long not being human in a professional setting. And it has a detrimental effect on our well-being, on our enjoyment factor of doing what we do. And then I also talk about mental health. I'm forever going on about dogs. Dogs, you know, I think it's on my Instagram bio where it's, you know, people are my bread and butter, but dogs are my jam. I mean, I just, <laughs> I'm obsessed with them. I just, they're so much better than people. And as much as I love people and I find them fascinating, you know, I am an introvert. Like, give me a dog any day of the week. Mm. Um, so, you know, all of those things are part of my shop window in some way, shape or form. I'm not just out there putting a robotic message out about build a personal brand. I mean, no, it's, it's just not going to happen. It's like there's become this sort of unwritten set of rules about what you need to do to be professional and to sort of be marketing your business. And, and none of those things include really being yourself and you're kind of blowing all that up. Um, and I know that I, I just disengage from people or, or businesses now that aren't are trying to sort of lure me in with the same old marketing messages because I'm like, well, that's not true. Or where's the heart in that, you know? Promoting yourself and showing up as yourself doesn't mean you have to go on and on about yourself either. It's, you know, one thing that matters to me massively, uh, and I don't think it'll ever change, is kindness. I think it's incredible. It can change people's lives. It can take just a moment and you've shifted something for someone forever just by showing a bit of kindness. and. I'm sure we've all been on the receiving end of kindness at one point and it sticks in your mind so sometimes showing up is showing up and shouting about someone else who's doing something 
amazing. You're still showing up and you're showing what your values are as a person by showing up and focusing on somebody else. So kindness is a bit like vulnerability in that they both have quite bad brand perception in a way, sort of in a corporate environment. Vulnerability especially is often viewed as negative, exposing, weak. How can, how can you change the brand perception around vulnerability? We're all vulnerable. We're all human beings. Like none of this stuff is easy. So surely if you're showing vulnerability and it, you know, I think you'd be surprised with some people who also feel vulnerable, you know, who will message, who will get in touch and say, thank you so much for sharing that. I really resonated. I've looked at it sometimes and thought, hey, who on earth would have thought that this person could connect with what I was saying, but we are all people and we all have this aspect of vulnerability to us. It doesn't need to be, I mean, who said it was a weakness? Who said you had to be professional and strip yourself out of the equation? I'm not sure where this stuff is coming from. And I don't really care where it's come from. I think the, the thing that I care about is that we change it and we do business in a different way going forwards. And we engage with people in life and in society in a different way going forwards. I think vulnerability is an amazing teacher. You know, there's a lot you can learn from embracing vulnerability and from putting yourself out there um, and sharing things. You know, sometimes I can be guilty of oversharing because I don't really have so much of a filter sometimes. And I recently shared something on Instagram, health related. And my husband was like, why are you sharing that? on Instagram. He doesn't show off on social media at all. And um, I was talking about health problems, colonoscopies, you know, I've been diagnosed with a rare condition. It's like, I just don't think it's necessary to share it with the world. And I said, well, I'm not sure why I'm sharing it. I'm just going to share it anyway. And off the back of it, you know, three people contacted me and said that because of this, I've booked a colonoscopy. It's something I was avoiding. Because you know, we're all feeling embarrassed about the topic. Um, you know, it's not something you want to read about over your lunch, I'm sure, but it's happening to people. People have got loads of stuff going on in their lives. And when you share it, you actually give people a place to belong to, you know, a supportive helping hand without necessarily getting involved yourself. So, I mean, I just don't see, I don't know if I've answered the question or if I've gone on off on a tangent, but I don't see any downside to sharing and showing vulnerability can i can i quote you at you yeah <laughs> so when we spoke um before the podcast just for like a pre-chat you said uh, you can't be comfortable being different until you find a place where you're the same yes which really stuck in my head and you've kind of veered into the same territory there which because i feel a bit like vulnerability is a portal you know, it feels like a nuts thing to do to share something like, you know, your colonoscopy results or, or whatever. But once you do it, it opens this door to a place where you find people who are the same. And, you know, as you said in your quote, it's often from there that you find the strength to go on and do other things. And I know that you found that in relation to sort of being being quite tall. And I just wondered um, how you felt like that had impacted on your professional life or your journey with vulnerability um i'm glad you i'm glad you quoted that because that's actually the mission behind uh, 
an online community for tall women that I built. Back in, I started it back in 2016, but this finding a place where you can belong, being six foot two, I am reportedly taller than 99.98% of the population. And it just turned out that most of the, the people that sit in the bracket with me didn't live in my town. They weren't walking down the street where I was walking. They weren't in the dating pool. And, you know, it was, it was just consistent. I didn't fit in. I wasn't in a body that fitted into clothes, friendships, relationships, you know, anything. And I think whatever it is, if you can find that place of belonging and you can find a place where you're all the same, you suddenly learn to love your difference and appreciate it. So part of the, the community is called Team Tool. It's only on Facebook now. And I did a bunch of events all over the world. I think four continents we did events in and met up with all these tall women. And it was amazing. But after a while, I became glad to leave the space because I didn't stand out at all. At six foot two, I was, I was average. I was really <laughs> average. And I wasn't noticed. I was constantly looking up instead of looking down. You know, it just turned everything on its head for me. And it made me really appreciate the fact that I do naturally stand out. And it took finding others the same as me to realise what a blessing it was. And that came from having the sort of courage to reach out to other people. It was more about, I love collaboration. I love, I love helping others. And, you know, most of the time people are like, oh, you do so much for other people. It's like, yeah, I know. But I didn't intend to. I just thought I could, if I was helping myself, it may help other people. I started a community with me. It was just one person. So if no one showed up, it didn't make any difference. But I made a New Year's resolution to spend the whole of 2016 having a tall year. And I said yes to all things tall. I didn't really even know what I was saying that January. Um, but by the end of the year, I'd been part of a fashion campaign for the, one of the biggest fashion brands in the tall space. I'd travel all over the world doing these random events. And now sort of fast forward four years there's nearly six and a half thousand people in that community you know the admins are part of keeping the community as supportive as it was day one believe it there is now heightest situations where it's like well you're not actually tall i'm taller than you it's like this can't happen um this is not there are plenty of spaces where that can happen the integrity of this group has to stay intact mm -hmm. <laughs> um again the non-negotiable but yeah, you know, there is an announcement when you get in there saying height is relative because there are people there who are in South America who are five foot six and bring those people to London. They're not tall, but they're the same as I was when I was younger. There is no one around them that looks like them. They are tall in their own environment and amongst the people around them. So they're experiencing the same feelings, but they're a different version of tall. So, yeah. You kind of mentioned there about uniqueness and how you found a sense of belonging in the tall community but and eventually started craving uniqueness again. Uniqueness is a pretty double-edged sword and I was wondering how how it fits in in a corporate environment because it's all tied into sort of um, you know it's all tied into being human and being vulnerable. What is being lost in terms of the corporate world in which we can't be unique, we can't be human? I think it's the culture, you know, it's the, the existing culture that hasn't evolved. You, know, you talk about uniqueness, whether you like it or not, everyone is unique. 
and it's this collection of life experiences and stories and our own twist that we bring to things to add to our uniqueness, which can differentiate us from every single one of the 7 billion plus people on the planet today. And bringing emotion and vulnerability into a structured corporate environment could rock a boat, you know, but I think with the conversations that have been going on around mental health, around well-being in the workplace, it's something that can't be ignored. It has to move forward and the thinking has to change. And even if it is the culture, you know, the amount of times I've heard, well, it's just our culture. It's like, well, it's broken, change it. Mm. You know, just saying that all the time, is somebody not getting irritated at hearing themselves say that over and over again? Change it. I feel like that often comes from people who aren't negatively affected by it. Yeah, I guess if it's, you know, if naturally I would describe myself as an empath. So, you know, being able to feel and put myself into situations that others are in comes naturally to me. And I guess if you're not wired that way and it's not affecting you, there's no reason to change it. But the people that are affected by it and the people that are seeing it as it's broken, those are the people that need to step up and change it. And if you can't change it, go somewhere else um, that is a better fit, that aligns with who you are, rather than justifying it's just the way things are. I do feel like it's just the way things are has been the sort of refrain for so long. And it's, it's just become so out of date. Um, let's talk about instinct, because this is something that I've often heard dismissed in a corporate setting as kind of woo-woo, until you get to a certain level and then you have the really sort of prominent people and they swear by instinct. So why is tuning into your instinct so necessary? How would you define instinct? And just to pile on a third element to that question, does instinct require vulnerability? Yeah, I should have written those ones down. Um, so for me, instinct... Instinct is one of my survival tools and, you know, rewind to, to much earlier in my life. If I hadn't used my instincts, if I hadn't known intrinsically that something was wrong, the outcomes in lots of different situations could have been way worse for me. Instinctively, you know, is it instinct or is it a fear is a question I ask myself because sometimes, you know, my instincts will be saying do something, but then there's resistance. I've got to sit with, is the resistance coming from me not wanting to do that? Or is it my instinct? So being able to decipher How do you which do that? is which, I think you know. You're like, you know, if it's if it's a speaking event and the introvert over here is going, no, I think my instincts are saying, don't do this one. <laughs> I mean, sit with it for another hot minute, be honest with yourself and say, okay, I really don't want to do it, but I think it will be good for my personal growth. Um, like, you know. A lot of the times we will just make excuses. We will make, and then we will go, oh, well, it just happened that way because this, because that. Instinctively, you know when something is right or when it isn't right. Whether you choose to pay attention to it probably is the definition of character. Um, and different characters will do different things with instinct. But I think it's part of who all of us are. And you don't have to go into work and say, you know, one of my strongest skills and my, ins my instincts about this situation are wrong, or you don't have to talk about what it is. You just have to be able to frame 
the fact that you think that something needs to change, the fact that you are not sure about this and you want to do it, you know, look into it a bit more. I think changing what you say is a no-no, but changing how you say it, as long as it sticks with the audience that it's intended for, doesn't matter how you say it, as long as you're not changing what you say. So why can't you change what you say? Are you going to stand by your opinions oh, or are you going to stand by your thinking or are you going to stand by your integrity or your morals or whatever it is? You know, do it with conviction, otherwise don't do it at all. So there's no scope for changing your mind? No, there absolutely is. I, mean, I love being, um, I love being on my soapbox about something and then learning something that I didn't know and then being on my soapbox going, it's almost like I feel like I'm being a hypocrite because I was passionate about that. But had I not been passionate about that and had I not voiced that, I wouldn't have learned the thing that proved me wrong. And then I can talk about something else. Mm. Um, I think we should always be learning and allow people to prove to us that we're not correct in something. So one of the other parts of that question um, was why do you think instinct is so necessary? go all the way back to caveman times is it caveman cave person cave woman not sure but go all the way back to the time where we lived in caves and instincts were the things that saved people you know they were the only tools that people could rely on in a lot of situations it's part of who we are as human beings and i wouldn't use your instincts just because we live in a different version why do you think it's been dismissed as something moony and kind of magical and i'm sure it doesn't serve other people well for people to use their instincts yeah because i I think i don't know what you think the definition of instinct is but i i feel like a lot of people think it's sort of a feeling that you get but actually if you look at what's happening it's more you're using the, the sort of depth of your experience your rational mind you're bringing all these factors into play to make a a logical decision about a situation you're not sort of looking at the sky and looking out for a flock of sparrows or something <laughs> but I feel like that's the reputation it's got yeah but I think you know it's your senses isn't it and your senses are telling you something like, listen to them um I mean the word sense is in there so it makes sense to listen to your own instincts and intuition if something feels off and you're being told the opposite one thing I've always done is question and question well. Um, if it doesn't make any sense to me, you know, if someone says you don't jump off a cliff, makes sense. It's a good rule. Don't jump off the cliff. Um, don't touch the hot oven. That also makes sense to me. But was, you know, when it's well, that's just the way it is. You know, you have to behave in this way. You have to do things a certain way because that's just how it is. That makes no sense to me. It's like, well, who said it? Tell me who said it and I'll qualify it. Um, if it's just the way it is and it's been whispered down generation of generation, I'm not, uh, no. It's a reason I run my own business and it's a reason I'm not um, employed in organisations. Is that uh, I add value when I pop in, but yeah, as an employee, I question a lot. <laughs> yeah. I was the same and I don't think people like that. <laughs> No, but it forces you to craft out your own path in life and, mm. you know, bring in all that experience that you've accumulated along the way and do something that fits with your values and that, that is part of the solution rather than just joining in with the problem. 
Yeah, and I think even if people don't like it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. No, um, I think there's been a lot of situations. I started before, you know, my life was, I was before the starting line. It's like I didn't even start from the starting line. I, I was way back from a starting line and I've moved into where I am now with, with my life. And, you know, a lot of people have disappeared along the way. They cannot understand the new version, the next version. You, you know, you're constantly doing this, you're constantly doing that. It doesn't fit with who they think I am and the version of me that they know. That speaks about others, not about me. How do you deal with that? Um, I mean, I cry. I go all philosophical on on subject um, with my husband who just goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> And it's like, but why? Um, I think ultimately there has to be an acceptance for, I like the person I am. This is my life. I'm owning it. I'm making my decisions for me, not for other people. You can't say that it's selfish in any way because of the amount I do for others and the amount I give back as part of my business model. Um, Any opinion you have of me is none of my business. Like As long as I'm good with who I am, as long as I'm fitting in with my own integrity, then yes, it hurts. Yes, you know, it upsets me. Um, I'm hypersensitive, so I do, makes the instincts and and the intuition better, but it also makes the feeling a lot more intense. Um, I have to try to learn every time that it happens. This is not a reflection of me. This is just someone doing what someone is doing. And also, I have to let people go from time to time, from friendship circles, you know, my family. I've cut off all but one of my family because it, I cannot make it work. It's toxic. I just cannot make it work. And I, and I refuse to spend the rest of my life trying to do so because it takes my energy away from other things I could be doing. So, yeah, I, I think I react to it well, badly, emotionally depends what day of the week you catch me on really and and how robust I'm feeling on that day but there does seem to be a consistency of like backing yourself and I mean sorry carry on no sorry I was just saying yes but it came out all funny yeah (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was the leaf blower back again (laughs) Um, no I was just going to say like there does seem to be this consistency of a sort of backing yourself and this does lead into the idea of underselling and the project that you're launching this year. What do you define as underselling? Before I um, tell you what I define it as, I was running a, a session on this and looked it up. And this is from the Macmillan Dictionary. It says the definition to think or say some to think or say that someone or something is less important, valuable, effective than they really are. To sell something at a cheaper price than someone else. And then it used the example of undersell yourself. And I cannot believe it's of this, but it says many women tend to undersell themselves in job interviews. That's the example (laughs) given in the Macmillan Dictionary. Wow. I mean, it's a problem and I'm not going to be part of the problem. I'm absolutely going on one, especially 2021, um, to try to do my bit towards being part of the solution. So, I mean, my next question was going to be, do you think that particularly disadvantages women? 
And the Macmillan Dictionary has kind of answered that for us. The Macmillan Dictionary says, yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I've done, I've run workshops and I've run sessions with, with women as a majority. Um, I've also run mixed ones. It's not every, it's definitely a majority women thing, but it is not exclusively women. Mm-hmm. And I feel that you know, my mission this year um, which is I've set myself a goal to reach and encourage over 1 million people with the message of stop underselling yourself uh, by the end of the year. Um, That cannot be women only. I'm sure that will be a majority of women. But I have to create the space as well for men because everyone is different and we can't just categorise and say this only affects women Mm. because what happens to that small much smaller percentage of men who this also I wonder if men undersell themselves in a different way as well like perhaps I don't know I don't want to make generalizations but perhaps underselling you know the sort of compassionate more feeling side of things whether whether there's anything in that I don't know so it's really good that you're making space for everybody it happens in my work as well you know the the quiet male leader the empathic male leader they don't belong either with the stereotype that surrounds them and yes they are in a minority but if there isn't you know they can't come into a female community a female a women only space they you're then leaving them with a space where they don't belong um i think everything should be as inclusive as possible Mm. um but the underselling yourself i mean it has to stop we are a bunch of human beings on a floating rock in space i mean get out of the minutiae like come here and do something with your with your life with your work that energizes you that makes you happy that makes you enjoy your life like it's bigger than this and and people are bigger than this get out of your own way is ultimately my message and it's one that i've screamed at myself (laughs) many times over the years and probably still even knowing what I know will continue to scream at myself in the future same (laughs) (laughs) so is there anywhere that anyone listening to this can find out a bit more about your project um it will be everywhere but anything is generally on the brandable and co website the last thing I normally do on these podcasts is ask someone to give me their note on vulnerability. So that's one message that you'd like to get across to people where vulnerability is concerned. So weave it in would be my note. You know, don't leave vulnerability on the outside. Like weave it into to who you are. Don't bring it to the wrong people, but in spaces where you feel safe to do so. Be vulnerable. Let people support you. Cool. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for your time. That's been a really interesting chat. And thank you for having me on here. I love that you're doing this.